0: following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. John 11 is where we're going to be uh, this morning, and uh, this is not a resurrection of Christ passage, uh, but uh, actually last fall I was at... Um, Uh, Dale Killian's memorial service and the the pastor who spoke spoke from this passage and I just hit me like man I need to do this passage for Easter Sunday it's a great passage and uh, John chapter 11 is where we're going to be before we get to the passage though why is it that we make such a big deal of the resurrection of Jesus you ever thought about that I mean, not just today, but all year long, we sing constantly about the resurrection. We gather on the first day of the week, every week, because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And of course, we have a holiday dedicated to Easter and to the resurrection of Christ. So why do we do all of that? Well, of course, the resurrection is vital to our faith for for a number of very important reasons. Paul said that if Jesus did not rise, we are of all men most miserable. So our faith is built on the resurrection of Christ. But have you ever considered how the death and resurrection of Christ uniquely identifies the transcendent God with humble, broken sinners like us? And God identified with us in the death and resurrection of Christ in an incredible, way. And that's amazing to think about because because our world is filled with sorrow and suffering, disease and death, evil and violence. And and Satan, as, as you suffer, as you endure the hardships of this world, Satan wants you to believe that God is up in heaven, enjoying all the beauties and glories of heaven, amused with all that he has there, and he is untouched and, and uncaring with, with all the, the heartache and difficulty that you are facing down here. Satan wants you to think that God doesn't understand. God doesn't care. And He has no urgency to help. But the death and the resurrection of Jesus shatters that lie, Because Christ became one of us. And, and He suffered as a man. He endured all the challenges of life in this world, all the way to enduring a humiliating, abusive, horrible death on a cross. But thankfully, He didn't just enter our suffering. Jesus overpowered death and suffering by rising from the dead. So, so the resurrection of Christ answers our suffering, our sorrows in a mighty display. So maybe you came into church today and you are hurting or you're grieving. Maybe you're even struggling with anger and bitterness against God for some of the things that you have had to endure or are facing today. Well, take heart by considering the passion of Christ. Jesus cares. He is near to every heartache that we endure, and He has solved the problem. So so today's passage tells an incredible story that, that affirms all these truths. Now now again, John 11 does not tell the story of Jesus' own resurrection, but it's going to foreshadow what Christ will do on, in his own resurrection, and it also records some of Jesus' most precious words regarding the significance of his resurrection, and it displays Jesus' sympathy with our plight and His passion to resolve it. And so John 11. Uh, tells a story, uh, a compelling story, that, that should drive everyone to believe on Christ and rest in Him. And so, so we're going to, it's a long story, it goes 46 verses, and uh, we're going to work our way through it efficiently, Lord willing. And, um, and so the first 16 verses of the story describe how Jesus waits. Let's read beginning in John 11, verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with anointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha And her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of his sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to to his fellow disciples, let us also go, so that we may die with him. So the story begins uh, by introducing us to three of Jesus' closest friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Jesus had been a frequent guest in their home in Bethany, which was only two miles away from the city of Jerusalem. And, and, and Jesus loved these people and they loved Jesus. In fact, the very next chapter, John 12, tells the story of how when Jesus came to visit their home just a few days later, she, uh, she broke open a, 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 a jar of, of expensive ointment. This ointment was worth a year's wages. She broke it open. She poured it out on Jesus' feet and she wiped it into His feet with her hair. This family loved our Lord. But but they're facing a terrible crisis because Lazarus is severely ill and he is moving towards death. And so their home is filled with sorrow and worry and the scent of death. but, But Mary and Martha believe. That Jesus can heal their brother. They're confident of that. But what the problem is, is that, Jesus, is that they live in Bethany, which is only two miles from Jerusalem. And, and, and the last time Jesus came to Jerusalem, things didn't go so well. We I mean, Look back at, at chapter 10 and, and verses 30 and 31. Jesus is speaking to the Jews here and he says, I and my father are one. That's a huge claim. And what is the verse 31 says, The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And then verse 39 says, Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing, and he was staying there. So, So imagine this. I mean, Jesus claims that He is equal with the Father, and the, and the mob a mob develops. They're, they're inspired, they're, they're angry, they're hateful, and they pick up stones, and they're going to kill Jesus on the spot. They're not going to worry about a trial. They're not going to worry about any sort of justice. They are going to kill Him right now. I mean, talk about a scary scene. But thankfully, Jesus eludes their grasp and and he flees flees east uh, across the Jordan River to a place where he is safe. So probably at the time where this story takes place, Jesus is about 100 miles away on the other side of the Jordan River. But Mary and Martha, they need Jesus now. And so they send a simple message to their Lord. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, have you ever received... A message like that. if you know, Someone you love, someone you care for is dying or terribly ill. And, and your heart just sinks. And initially, in your, your normal reaction to that situation is you want to go to them right away. You want to help right now as fast as you can. You know, especially if you've got power to do something like Jesus did. So, so imagine when, when Jesus and the disciples hear this news. I mean, they all love Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and so their heart sinks. And you can imagine that probably a couple disciples jumped to their feet and said, we got to go. we got to help our friends out. But a couple others are like, no, wait a second. We can't go back there. They just tried to kill us. And if we go back to Judea, they're going to kill us for sure. There's no way we're going back to Judea. And so there's this fight maybe taking place. And then Jesus calmly replies in verse 4. He says, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. That's an incredible statement. And then Jesus doesn't do anything for two days, he just sits still. He doesn't move. Now, the messenger, he had to be shocked. He traveled a hundred miles to get Jesus and to get him back as quickly as possible. And think about Mary and Martha back in Bethany. I mean, they don't have cell phones, there's no texting taking place, there's no calls. So they're just sitting, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? He's gonna. It's been, it's been long enough. He should be back by now. And he didn't come. And two days is a long time when someone is dying. And so verse 4 So so why did he wait? Well, well, verse 4 is very important to the purpose of the story. That that Jesus says that he is going to use this event to glorify himself and to glorify the Father. And so, now how is that? Well, specifically, because by, by the time Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he will have been dead for four days. And that makes this by far the most dramatic resurrection story that is told in the Bible. So, so there, have been, there are several other stories in the Bible of people being raised from the dead. Both the Old Testament and as well Jesus had raised a couple others in the New Testament. But all of those happened almost immediately after the person had died. But, but four days is a long time for a body to decay. If you've ever found a dead animal that's been dead for four days... You know, they don't look so good. I mean, they, they look pretty bad. And I mean, you know, they, they, it stinks. They're swelling. You know, probably the eyeballs and so forth are starting to, you know, kind of get eaten away. And, and so it's just a, a wretched sight. And so, and so for a body that's been dead for four days to be raised is, is an incredible thing. And, 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 so, and so Jesus waits to make the miracle even more miraculous. But but that sounds selfish and cold, doesn't it? I mean, how could Jesus prolong Mary and Martha's suffering for that long? I mean, those are miserable days for these ladies. Just so that He can glorify Himself and glorify His Father? Well, well, verse 5 really helps. And and it sounds so cold that that John actually feels the need to, to remind us that Jesus really did love these people even though he waited. And so he is not relishing their pain. He cares about them and wants what's best for them. And as well, we have to remember that the greatest good that any of us can ever know is the glory of God. So yes, I mean, it was hard for these ladies. But we need to know God far more than we need to be comfortable, healthy, or even physically alive. Now that buck's against our instinct, right? You know, but, 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 but only because we struggle to appreciate just how valuable the knowledge of God is. There is nothing in life you need more than to know God and to believe on His Son. It's the greatest need of your life. So those two days were excruciating for Mary and Martha. But they were absolutely necessary. Well, after Jesus sits on his hands for two days, finally he says, it's time to go. And so he tells his disciples that, and and you might think that the disciples were going to be excited, like finally we're going to go help our friend. But notice instead they rebuke him. Verse 8, they say, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Now that's understandable. Because these guys had just endured a terrifying scene. Can you imagine being stuck in the middle of a mob that's trying to kill your best friend? That that would be terrifying, and they don't want anything to do with that again. And and, and so, for the sake of time, we're going to basically skip over most of the exchange that Jesus has with His disciples. But verses 8-16 through demonstrate that, that their faith had a long ways to go. I mean, we're just a couple of weeks at this point out from the death of Christ. These guys' world is about to get rocked. And Jesus understands that they've got a long ways to go in their understanding of who Jesus is and their faith in Jesus. And as well, they didn't appreciate the need to work urgently while there was time. So they were not ready for Jesus to die. And they needed this miracle just as much as anyone else did. And so notice Jesus' blunt and compassionate words in verses 14 and 15. He says, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Now now he's not saying that they didn't have any faith at all. They believed. But their faith needed to grow. And so Jesus knows exactly what he is doing and love drives every step of the story. So so the incredible resurrection that is coming is about a whole lot more than one man's physical life. No, Jesus is going to glorify himself so that the disciples and many other people will believe on Jesus. That's the goal. And maybe there's someone here that God wants you to believe on Jesus for the very first time. Maybe you're not sure about who this Jesus is and Maybe you're not sure if He really was the Son of God or if He can really stave. Well, this story is here to show you that Jesus is not just a great man. That He is, in fact, the Son of God. And God wants to glorify Him in your heart so that you believe on Him for salvation. So I hope you'll pay attention to what's coming. Well, Jesus is done waiting. But now Lazarus has died. But, but despite all that the disciples have seen, they assume it's too late. He's dead. And we're four days away. But surprisingly, Jesus wants to go right back into the hornet's nest. He wants to go back to Judea and help out Mary and Martha. And the disciples are scared to death. And that brings us to the, the second major section of the story, which I'm going to call Jesus' comforts. So Jesus waits. And then Jesus' comforts. Let's read verses 17 through 37. It says, So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with him in the, with her in the house and consoling her when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So when Jesus reaches Bethany, he's confronted with a tragic scene. Lazarus is dead. And a large crowd of Jews had come from Jerusalem to the home of Mary and Martha to comfort them in their grief. And that was pretty typical of Jewish culture. It's very different from ours, but but lots of people would come in. They actually were required to pay for mourners, to come and assist in the mourning process. And, And so their home is just packed with people who are all making a scene, all making all sorts of noise. It's a place of incredible grief and sorrow and loudness. And naturally, when Martha hears that Jesus is outside of town, She wants to get away from it all and go find Jesus and have a private conversation with her Savior. And so she sneaks away to where Jesus is and what follows is one of the most powerful exchanges with the Savior that is recorded in all of Scripture. So just imagine Martha. Her her brother's been dead for four days. She goes out, she finds Jesus, and she falls at His feet And she cries out in verses 21 and 22, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Now again, Jesus loves Martha. And she loves him. And so it was an intense moment as she expresses a mixture of deep grief and disappointment, with, with incredible faith in Christ. I and mean, Martha believes, right? And she believes that if Jesus had been here, he could have snapped his fingers and her brother would have been fine. And she is sure. She is sure of that. But she assumes that the window for Jesus to help is past. He's been dead for four days. And, and the thought of resurrection hasn't even entered her mind. And so, but, but even though Martha's heart is breaking. She trusts that the Savior is good and he will accomplish his purpose. She has great faith. And so Jesus looks at her with great compassion and he assures her, Martha, your brother will rise again. Now now that's an incredible statement. What an incredible assurance coming from Lazarus' creator. And for all of us who are missing a loved one who has gone to be with the Lord, that that Lazarus' death is no match for Jesus. That all who are in Christ will rise again. And Martha believes. And so she says to Jesus in verse 24, I know that He will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So so Martha's brother is gone. But she believes that he is not lost. She believes in the resurrection of the dead. And and that's good, right? And that was actually a debated point in the the days of Jesus, whether there is a resurrection or not. And she's on the right side. She believes in the resurrection. But it has not even entered her mind to ask Jesus to physically raise her brother. And, And we know that. Because when Jesus goes to the tomb and tells them to take the stone away, she's not excited. She's thinking, what in the world is he doing? So, so the thought of a physical resurrection has not even entered her mind. So Martha believes the right theology. But Jesus wants to take her faith a step further. And so imagine Jesus looking into the eyes of this grieving sister. And he tells her in verses 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Those are incredible verses. Now now in verse 24, Martha affirmed the right theology. She believed in the resurrection of the dead and she specifically believed that that applied to her brother. But I like how uh, Don Carson summarizes Jesus' intent here. He says Jesus' concern is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in Him who alone can provide it. So she doesn't just need to believe in a theology of, of final resurrection. She needs to believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. In such a way that it transforms her life today. And of course the same for the disciples and everyone who is there. So she needs that transforming faith that we've been talking about this year as a church. Now I do want to clarify that while Jesus intends to physically raise Lazarus, verses 25 and 26 are primarily focused on the final resurrection. Jesus is saying, "I will raise all who are in me." And so these verses are incredibly comforting when we lose a Christian loved one. I mean, it hurts when you lose someone you love, and it is, and you miss them terribly. I know that some of you are enduring that grief right now. We've had several church members pass away recently, and, and even if it's not recent. You know, a day like today can, can bring up those thoughts and you miss those people that you love. And, and, and so, and so the verse, these verses are, are so encouraging because Jesus says He is the resurrection and the life and death will not win the final victory for all who are in Christ. What's He say? He says we will live even if we die. And in the true sense, He says... Those in Christ will never die. What an assurance. And why is that? Well, it's because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that's because only a few days after this story, maybe a couple of weeks after this, Jesus is going to die himself. And he is going to rise from the dead. And so Jesus accomplishes the most dramatic resurrection ever and He is going to change the course of history in the process. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 20-22 through 22 say, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man, speaking of Adam, came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, So in Christ, all will be made alive. So Jesus conquered death. He conquered death and he offers life to all who believe. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Absolutely. And so Christian, we have no need to fear the grave. Because even if we die, we will live. And in the true sense... We will never die. And then Jesus asks Martha a very pointed question. Imagine Jesus looking at her and saying, Martha, do you believe this? And Jesus is asking everyone in here the very same question. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection of life? He's not asking if you're a religious person. He's not asking if you're a person of faith. He's not asking if you believe in the afterlife or if you identify yourself as a Christian. No, He's asking you, do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that? And will you put your faith wholly and completely in Him as the only Savior Well, Martha responds with a wonderful confession. She says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And that's a great confession. In fact, it fits perfectly with the purpose of this entire Gospel of John. And I hope you can say that with her that you believe that Jesus is more than a man, that he is the promised Messiah. He is the Son of God and you believe that He has come to provide salvation. And believing that is the most important decision you will ever make. You know, again, John tells us a couple chapters later in, in John chapter 20, verse 31, that he wrote this whole book of John that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you would have life in His name. That is the most important decision in all the world. And John is written to inspire that kind of faith in you. You are to read this book not to hear a cool story but to see Jesus as He is and to repent of your sins and believe on Him. Well, Martha makes a great confession. But she's still grieving and she has no idea what is coming. And so she runs home and, and, and finds her sister Mary and whispers in her ear, hey, Mary, Jesus is outside town. Why don't you sneak away as well and have a little conversation with Jesus? And so, and so she's hoping that she can also have a private conversation with Jesus. And so, but when Mary takes off, unfortunately, maybe she's not quite as, as sneaky as Martha. And so the crowd notices that, that Mary is leaving and they begin following her, assuming that she is going out to the tomb. And so Mary takes off and the crowd is following her And they probably were making quite a scene. Again, this is kind of foreign to our context, but in Eastern cultures, when when they grieve like this, there's all sorts of drama and noise, and they make quite a scene. And so all these people are are making their noise. They're, They're chasing after Mary. But Mary runs ahead weeping. And finally, she reaches Jesus herself. And she also falls at Jesus' feet. And she makes the same confession as her sister. Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But unfortunately, Jesus can't have a private conversation with Mary like he did with Martha because this crowd is everywhere. And so he looks at his friend and he looks at this crowd and verse 33 says that he is deeply moved and troubled. Now, now about every translation Has about something very similar to that, but it's actually a very weak translation of what the Greek is saying. Because the Greek uh, verb that Jesus uses there, that John uses of Jesus there, means that he is outraged in spirit. Jesus is angry as he sees the scene. Now that's confusing. Why is Jesus angry? Well, John doesn't tell us why. But, but I think we can be safe to assume that he's not angry at Martha and Mary because he loves them and they have tremendous faith in Christ. But I think it's very possible that he was angry at the empty show of grief that he was seeing in this crowd around him. You know, in fact, I mean, think about the fact that some of these people who are mourning, as soon as the miracle happens, they're going to run off to the Pharisees and tattle on Jesus in hope that he is arrested and killed. And so their hardness would have been particularly troubling to Jesus. And beyond that, I think it's very possible that he looked at them and he is frustrated that they are all grieving like pagans. I mean, they're grieving as if there is no hope, as if this is the end. And, and so there is a despair in the air that is never right as long as God is on the throne. And so Jesus is angry at their lack of faith. So, yes. Sometimes we grieve, sometimes we hurt, but we always have to remember that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is always on the throne, even in our weakest moments. So Jesus is sympathetic to our sorrows, but but despair is never okay because Jesus is sovereign and we have to keep the faith at all times. And I believe that Jesus is also probably indignant at just the general effects of sin and the curse. You know Jesus is thinking about the death of his friend, and he's looking at how sin has, has destroyed creation, and he is thinking, "This is not how I made the world to be." Jesus created a good world, but sin had destroyed what He had made and and, and so What an incredible reminder this is. That that our God is not distant from human sorrow and suffering. Jesus became a man. He came near. And, And he came so near to his creation that he built close friendships with individuals. And he grieved the death of a friend. I mean, that's, that is incredible to think about. That transcendent God would have an experience like that. But Jesus didn't just grieve that day, did He? He did something about it and so He asked where the tomb is and the crowd leads Him to the place. And then verse 35 makes an incredible statement. It says, Jesus wept. Now, all the Iwana kids are out of here. But, but if you're an Awana kid, that's, that's your favorite memory verse, right? Jesus wept. I, I got that one. I remember loving that memory verse as a kid. and I could get, get my star for that one every time. So we like it because it's short and it's easy to memorize. But it's also an incredible testimony that John clearly wants to emphasize in how he tells the story. He wants us to know that Jesus wept. And this verb, the verb that's used here, doesn't picture the uncontrolled grief of the crowds. It's not the word for anger that's used in verse 33. No, this is the quiet tears of grief. And so Jesus felt the sorrow that sin had created. He truly became one of us. Isaiah 53 prophesied some 700 years before Jesus' life that he would become a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So what a powerful picture of the nearness of our Savior. He understands, he cares, and he sympathizes with all of our sorrows. And so you can run to him with every grief and know that he cares. But thankfully, Jesus is a whole lot more than just a shoulder to cry on. And so he is, uh, he is the answer to it. And, and so we've come to the third section of the story, which I'm going to call Jesus Wins. So Jesus waits, Jesus comforts, and now Jesus wins. Let's read verses 38 through 46. It says, so Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone.'" Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did not I say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you, have always, that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me when he had said these things he cried out with a loud voice lazarus come forth the man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings and his face was wrapped around with a cloth and jesus said to them unbind him and let him go therefore many of the jews who came to mary and mary came to mary and saw what he had done believed in him But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. So just imagine the scene. The crowd reaches the tomb. You know, again, there's the wailing of the, you know, and all the noise that's taking place. And there's this hopeless despair that's in the air. And and, and once again, verse 38 says that Jesus is angry, he is frustrated at at the despair that's overwhelming the situation. And he is determined that he's going to do something about it. And then he gives a very surprising command that that I've never heard anyone give when they come to a tomb. He says, remove the stone. Now, Martha does not know what to think. and She has no expectation of of a resurrection, and so she is horrified at the thought... That Jesus is going to tarnish the legacy of her brother by having everyone smell the horrible smell of his decomposing body. And she's like, Jesus, what in the world are you saying? He's been dead for four days. And then the sovereign Lord and loving Savior looks at her and he replies. He says, did not I say to you? That if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Now just imagine the weird mix of confusion, maybe laughter, and anticipation that sets in over the crowd at that point. Because these people had seen Jesus do some cool things. And that sounds like he's getting ready to do something really cool. But what in the, taking the stone away from the tomb? What's going on? And then Jesus prays to his Father. Again, it says in verses 41 and 42, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. Now again, the greatest need of every man is to know our Creator God through belief in Christ. And then even after we are saved, our greatest need is to grow in the knowledge of God, to fear Him and to love Him. And so we desperately need Christ to be glorified in our hearts. So yes, suffering, pain, death are miserable, horrible things. But you will never suffer anything that is worth more than knowing the glory of God and having faith in Christ. And Jesus understood this. That these people needed to know Him and believe in Him And so his love and his good purpose stands over everything that takes place. And so he finishes his prayer. He looks down. He looks at the grave. And Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come forth! Now again, imagine the crowd's reaction. I bet bet some people laughed. Like he just commanded a guy dead for four days to come forth. Come forth. I mean, what's he saying? I bet overall, generally, there's just this kind of quiet, like, what's going to happen? And Mary and Martha are looking square into the tomb, and, and they begin to see a little motion. Maybe they hear a little ruffle. They hear noise coming out of the tomb. And suddenly, Lazarus begins crawling out of this hole, and then he's standing there. They they can smell death. It probably stunk, so there's no question that he's been dead. It stinks, and yet here is the guy who has been dead standing in front of us. I mean, what an incredible scene. And and so in a moment, overwhelming sorrow becomes overwhelming joy. I mean, Lazarus is alive. He's alive. And, And so Jesus wept. He entered human sorrow, and then he conquered it. And a few days later, he's really going to enter human sorrow. And Jesus is going to suffer incredible injustice. He's going to be cruelly beaten. He's going to be humiliated. And he is going to die under the wrath of God against our sins. He is going to enter all of it. But then he's going to rise again. And so he fully and finally defeated death. And he provided eternal life for everyone who believes on him. So our creator God became a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And then he fixed all of it. So our God is not distant from our pain, he is near. But he is not just sympathetic. He is powerful to save. He solved the problem. And so the gospel answers our deepest need in a way that no other faith or philosophy system ever could. I mean, find me a religion that that solves the human plight better than the death and resurrection of Jesus. You won't find one. Jesus solved the problem. He became one of us. He endured our pain. And he fixed it. Well, return to the story. Notice how the crowd responds. Verses 45 and 46 say, Many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Now this miracle is undeniable. Undeniable. I mean, this guy had been dead for four days and he rose again. And so the text tells us that many believed. But incredibly, some were so hardened in their unbelief that they instead ran off to the Pharisees to tell them that Jesus was back in Judea and they needed to arrest this guy and take care of him. And that's, that's incredible, isn't it? You know, and it's a reminder to us that skeptics love to stick their nose in the air and tell us that they are the rational, logical ones who are committed to science and truth. And it's nonsense. I mean, unbelief is terribly irrational. These people are not committed to truth, they're committed to what they want to believe. So, which side will you and I land on? Jesus is the resurrection and the life, He is. So will you refuse what you know to be true? You know it's true. You can see all around you the glory of God and you can see in His Word who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. Or will you believe that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Son of God and that there is life available in His name. And if you've never believed on Christ, right there in your seat you can... You can just cry out to God and say, Jesus, I believe that You are the Lord. You are my Creator. And I have sinned against Your will. But I want to believe on Christ. I believe that He died for my sins. I believe that He can save me. And I want Christ to be my Savior. If you have never confessed that with your mouth to the Lord, and right there in your seat, you can pray and receive Christ. You can be born again. And you can know that you will never die spiritually, even if you die physically, that you will be with God forever and ever. And if you have questions about that and you're not sure and you need some answers, then we would love to talk with you today about how you can know Christ as your Savior. And for the rest of us, let's let our faith continue to grow. Let's believe more and more And let's let transform everything about us. Let's have everyone bow your head and close your eyes. And we're going to sing here in a moment. But before I do, I just want to ask if there's anyone here who you have questions about the gospel, and uh, you you just you're, you're not sure of your faith, you're not sure of your relationship to God, or you know that you need a relationship with God and you want help or answers and. I'd like to pray for you and I'd like to seek you out after the service. And so, if you wouldn't mind just slipping your hand up so that we can pray for you and seek you out. Is there anyone like that at all today? You need Christ or you have questions about Christ? Thank you. See that? Anyone else? Yeah, see that. All right. Lord, we thank you so much that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. And oh Lord, I pray that every one of us would leave today with a certainty that we believe and that we are ready to meet the Lord. And God, I pray that your spirit would um, continue to work. Lord, as we, say, as we sung earlier, that the spirit would clothe faith with certainty and cause us to believe more and more every day. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his resurrection and the hope that we have in him. In Christ's name, amen.